The following program is a presentation of the Radio Talking Book Service in Omaha, Nebraska. RTBS programming is intended solely for individuals who cannot read conventional print due to a disability. Ineligible listeners risk infringing on copyright law, and RTBS is not responsible for any violations that may occur. It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cammie Carlisle. Hi, Ryan. Happy Friday. And it's actually kind of nice out there, which is a nice change of pace. Today, excited to have our friend, uh, Brad Murens. He is Disability Nebraska's Public Policy Director live in the studio. Hi, Brad. Welcome. Hi, Kimmy. It's nice to be here. I'm glad you're here. So let's jump right in. I know you have a lot to share. Quickly, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Be happy to. Uh, well, I was uh, born and raised in Omaha. Uh, about 84th and Center area. Ah. So I went to Westside for high school. Uh, then I went on uh, to pursue my bachelor's degree at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I have a bachelor's degree in Latin uh, with minors in English history and international relations. Uh, I was on the uh, uh, taking classes because they sound like fun uh-huh. track. And so I was on the, I don't know, I'm like, I'll graduate someday right. uh, track. <laughs> Uh, but I really wanted to. I really wanted to be work in law and policy. So I figured, well, you know what? There's a lot of Latin in in law. Mm-hmm. So and I was good at Latin in, in high school. So I decided to keep that and pursue that. Uh, and then I did. I did my bachelor's work there. Uh, I was coaching debate teams here at, in uh, at Omaha West Side and Lincoln Southeast, and uh, got an opportunity to coach debate at Syracuse University. Cool. To work on my uh, so I did my master's work at Syracuse University at the Maxwell School. Uh, did that, came back to did, did a year or so as a consultant in D.C. for an environmental consulting firm, mm-hmm. uh, and decided uh, I wanted to come back and be with the family back home, and uh, came back to Nebraska. That's well, lucky kinda, us. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I think more lucky me, but uh, well, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that we have you because I know that you do an incredible job for everybody here in Nebraska as far as disability rights goes. So thank you. Tell us what Disability Rights Nebraska is all about. Sure, sure. Uh, disability Rights Nebraska is the designated protection and advocacy Organization for Persons with Disabilities in Nebraska. Okay. Uh, in the middle 70s, Congress passed legislation uh, requiring that all the states and territories have a protection and advocacy organization mm-hmm. for persons with disabilities in their state and territory. Uh, basically, the charge is to protect and advocate for the for the human and civil rights of persons with disabilities. Okay. Uh, the main, I think, the main emphasis for the legislation creating our network and system of protection and advocacy organizations came off the heels of some pretty uh, nasty abuse situations that were uh, occurring at uh, institutions and facilities up in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there was an extra push to have some extra attention paid to disability rights okay. in states. And so that's kind of where we uh, came about. Uh, in 1978, we were incorporated, uh, and we've been uh, doing this work ever since. Wow, very so, good. Yeah, in a nutshell, basically, the, the charge is to protect and advocate and make good policy for persons with disabilities here in Nebraska. Perfect. So I know a lot has been happening. The last legislative session just wrapped up. It was a short session, the second year. 
So what happened? I know there are a couple of bills that you all were working on with a couple of senators. How did everything end up? Oh, uh, great. Uh, I think it was a really successful and a good uh, legislative session. Uh, we had some we had some wins. I think we had some wins, uh, and we I think we had some draws. Uh, th- those are the draws being, you know, something that we wanted to see, some changes we wanted to see made. Maybe we didn't get the exact change we wanted, but but while that door may have closed, a window opened in other areas, and so we were kind of we've been able to start doing some work uh, behind the scenes and other sort of avenues to achieve some more goals. So we had some wins, we had some draws. I don't really know if we had that significant of losses. I mean, certainly there's always. You know, we wish there were more appropriation funds for right. services. So, I mean, you know, and there were some reductions of what either what was originally thought of or, or you know, suggested as an appropriation level or through the negotiation of the legislature, there were some reductions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, those are definitely we don't like to see reductions. We want to see, you know, right. as much funding go to services as possible. But. Um, but it's better than nothing, and I think those can be counted as as some of those draws as sure. well. So, um, in particular, you know, I think, and I think that's the important thing too, is that disability rights Nebraska we operate a, a variety of different activities in our for our advocacy. Right. So we we engage in legal advocacy, and that okay. is you know litigation, mm-hmm. working through the court system. Our attorneys will you know do their attorney thing, file suit, and a briefs and, and do the legal analysis. Uh, so they would do – they will, you know, invoke the courts and the legal system uh, for advocacy. Right. We also have um, what we call relationship-based advocacy, and that's John Murphy's uh, uh, area, and that's project on citizen advocacy, and that is trying to pair up people in, the, in a community that mm-hmm. have a – that have a, a, a social uh, – have a valued social role. They're okay. seen as valued in their, in their society and pairing them up and becoming advocates for persons who are devalued in that, in that community or in that mm-hmm. society. So we can – and we think that the idea is that when people who are devalued are seen next to and interacting with people who are valued, then that raises their value by association. So that's another avenue or another approach we take to advocacy – and then, you know, then there's where I come in, in mm-hmm. public policy. That's our other part of our advocacy. And so uh, I engage, uh, as, you know, I and our agency, uh, working with our attorneys and our case advocates and our administration and our advisory councils and our board and other agencies and other organizations that are, that are kind of in our field or in our circles. Okay. Um, so I work with uh, state senators, uh, some uh, to – pass legislation, to not pass legislation, to create policies that's beneficial for persons with disabilities, uh, looking at, you know, the effects on uh, a person's rights, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not it conforms with sort of our – the parameters within our legal uh, – the, the federal legislation that kind of creates and authorizes us. We also make sure that we're looking at legislation and policies in the lens of what our organizations committed to and our principles. Sure. Uh, so I work with senators on legislation here in Nebraska. I also work with well, when there's if there's re- regulations that are introduced. I'll work on providing comments and, and working up feedback on regulations or other policy developments. 
Uh, I work with state officials, mm-hmm. state agencies uh, on a variety of different things, whether or not they will call and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this policy or we're thinking about changing it to this. What, you know, from your perspective, is there anything we need to know? Tell us what we, you know, from your, give us your perspective. Let's mm-hmm. have a meeting and talk about the disability aspects. Um, so, you know, it's a, and then we do a lot of training and I do a lot of presentations and a lot of policy research. Um, and so, we, you know, I've got a lot of I got a lot of different hats that I wear, <laughs> yes. uh, but I, but I, I wear them all and I, I have no problem putting them all on. Great. Well, we appreciate that. So you all have been super busy and with all the advocacy that you do as well. Is there anything that happened on the floor this year that might have surprised you or taken you off guard? Did it turn a different way than you thought? Any bills out there? I, one of the things I think of, too, is that LB-147 back in 2020 mm-hmm. that you all helped kill, mm-hmm. which was the that authorized teachers and school personnel to use reasonable physical intervention on students and individuals to protect school property. Yep. So anything like that? I mean, that was incredible that we got that down because that was... Yeah, that that bill um, it, it comes back every session. Oh. Uh, in fact, actually, mm-hmm. in this session, it was introduced as I think it was LB seven ninety three or six seventy three, one of the two. Um, uh, and so it was on. It was on the, the. It was on our radar. You know, and and we've been we've been you know uh, at the tip of the spear on this particular issue. You know, the the research that we find is that you know. Uh, Kids with disabilities mm-hmm. are predominantly uh, affected and and have had restraints or seclusion used on them disproportionately. Yep. I think it, the data indicates something like while students with disabilities comprise about 13% of the national school population, okay. they account for 87% of the uses of restraint and or seclusion. Uh, and, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's and so just not even okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing is that uh, while these policies or techniques uh, and responses uh, are intended mm-hmm. uh, to be used as a last resort right. or to be used to protect the safety of students and or t- and or staff, sure. Um, what we find is that often they are used as discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes there's not – we don't believe there's a sufficient safeguard. For right. example, um, for example, in the legislation this session and in ones in previous, it uh, – one of our major problems with the legislation was that it called for the use of what we call prone restraint which is placing a child face down on the floor and Oof. sitting on top of them. Oh, no. When that's a particular mm. concern because that particular type of restraint is known to be lethal. Yes, we have many cases that we have seen. Yeah, and uh, and there are many Ugh. national reports that indicate that uh, that the use of restraint is – uh, a risk to the physical and emotional safety mm-hmm. and uh, security of not only students but staff as well. Right. Um, so we were concerned about that. We were also concerned about things like, to us, definitions are really important mm-hmm. and language is really important. So when we see, when we see that there are not limiting language like uh, an imminent risk of serious 
physical bodily harm right. as opposed to just an incidence of risk of bodily harm. Well, how do we quantify that? How, how do we tease that out? Because, you know, and so we were really concerned, and that's been our major concern, uh, is, the, is what we consider the loosening of restrictions on the use of these, of these particular techniques. And we've also noticed that, and one of the issues that we've raised continually since uh, this issue, these bills were raised the, initially, is that schools already are required to have a policy on restraint and seclusion use. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they have definitions, they have restrictions, they have qualifications. Uh, many of the policies are multiple page long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our concern was this these bill, this bill and the ones before it, w- would seem to roll back the requirements of school. So our question was, well, what happens now to the policies that are already in place? Right. First of all, do we need this legislation? Because they're already in place. We right. already have restrictions. Yes. And those policies on restraint and seclusion, which are required by Rule 10 mm-hmm. uh, in Nebraska stat- or re- regulations, um, often goes further – than what was called for in the bill. So there's a confusion. Well, if I'm a school, which one do I follow? Right. The policy that's required under Rule 10 or the state legislation? So, you know, we've, we've had some issues with the bill, and we're, we're happy the, to report that, you know, the, 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 the legislature was willing to take our argument and slow its roll on Good. this particular issue and really be deliberative. Uh, and we also thought, you know, that maybe – Thinking about how do we address school behaviors and how do we address these in the context of disability because sometimes the behavior is a manifestation of that child's disability. Right. Right? Yep. Uh, so we want to be really careful. It's not the fact that we don't we don't think schools should be safe. We don't think that teachers, you know, mm-hmm. not that at all. In fact, we, we came out right off the bat every single time and I say, you know, we – like teachers, we respect teachers. We yes. want everyone to be safe, but right. we don't think that this bill goes far enough. And so, it was well, a nuanced argument. Right, exactly. Well, I'm glad that we have you on the right side of that and working on it and taking care of it. And we think it's an, in- an educational issue too. And so it we're is. all. And one, that's also one of the things that we like to do with our public policy work is we also see it as a communication tool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, for example. This le- uh, this legislative session, we were working on a couple of bills in particular. Uh, legislative Bill 1104 mm-hmm. uh, was a bill to to uh, deal with uh, requiring the Nebraska Emergency Management Agency or NEMA, uh, requiring them to consult with disability advocacy organizations and disability service organizations uh, when uh, when the agency is making and developing their emergency operations plans mm-hmm. for counties and local communities. And what we noticed, we did we were we were doing some monitoring work on the extent and the impact of COVID nineteen on sure. people with disabilities in Nebraska, in particular. Those persons who are living in congregate facilities, uh, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, mm-hmm. group homes, because the research that we've done and the, the, the literature indicates not only are persons with disabilities more susceptible and vulnerable to COVID infection, but they're also more susceptible to having a negative reaction, lethal or fatal reaction or hospitalization given their pre-existing conditions, to borrow a phrase. Right. Uh, so we were really interested in looking at that COVID-19 situation 
situation. And one of the things that we had report, we had produced a report, a couple of reports talking about the testing situation. We found out that a lot of the testing sites weren't accessible. Oh, really? Um, and that we also kind of found out that, uh, you know, the perspective of persons with disabilities around what is accessibility for them, what does accessibility mean, mm-hmm. uh, really weren't. We don't feel we're adequately considered in the planning and rollout of this of the of the plan. So we raised those issues. So for example, uh, uh, one of the examples is you know they had uh, a, a, the testing station had a step. Oh. Well, if you use a wheelchair, right. you can't get up there, you're right? And right. or uh, the drive-through uh, facilities. Well, what if you couldn't get out of the car, right? And you were on the other side of the car uh. from where the state, you know, where they kind of gave you the thing. So, mm-hmm. so there were some there were some oversights. We worked with the public health departments, and they were very, and we think that they were very responsive, uh, and we took a good leadership role. Uh, so we worked with them to, you know, educate and see what there was some way we could help. Mm-hmm. So now was, remind me, was there a survey with that that they were sending out to folks or? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Okay. I'm I, not really sure. Okay. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> well, I know that they, they – I know that the, the monitoring team did a lot of interviews. Okay, good. And consulted with and had interviews and talked to the public health departments and okay. were talking to HHS and – we're involved in dialogues like that. Uh, and then we had a follow-up report that looked at COVID-19 and uh, the vaccine situation. Mm-hmm. Right? Are, is the vaccine program accessible? Is it meeting the needs of persons with disabilities? Are they you know, be able to access? And what, is there any red tape in the bureaucracy and all that sort of stuff? And one of the things that we had recommended or at, uh, in our report was that there might need to be some – uh, state legislation looking at and addressing the needs of persons with disabilities in emergencies and disasters like COVID. Right. So, I, so I was working with our legal team and the report team and the monitoring team, and I was looking through the state statutes, and I recognized that uh, that that uh, the Nebraska Man- Emergency Management Agency is required to cons- in state statutes required to consult with governmental agencies and the private sector, mm. although we don't know who that is, it just says the private sector, right. when they're developing these operations plans that will okay. go out to the counties and localities for them to kind of figure out who's going to do what, what's the plan if, you know, tornado, right. fire, you know, who's going to do what, who's responsible for what was lay out the plan, and that way we can, you know, more efficiently and effectively respond and recover and prepare. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, if they're required to speak with and consult with and get adv- advice from governmental agencies and the private sector, we know that disability presents often presents unique circumstances mm-hmm. or unique situations for persons uh, 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 other than you know who have disabilities. So I thought, well, maybe they need to be talking with the disability community. So we had we had suggested to Senator Day. Um, that we add into statute uh, that NEMA should be required to consult with not only mm-hmm. governmental agencies and the private sector, but also disability advocacy organizations and disability service provider organizations because they have the direct, either they have direct information mm-hmm. about how to address disability issues, right, uh, or or 
and, well, and or we have you know connections into the community. Yes. So we can not only provide our input based on what we know and our in research and our connections to other states and other national level agencies and organizations who have done research on this area, but we also have connections to organizations in the community and persons in the community. So we can also help get that personal perspective because our we emphasize that persons with disabilities are the experts on disability. Exactly. And the mantra, one of the major mantras within the community is mm-hmm. nothing about us without us. Exactly. The idea being that, yep. you know, you, we need to have, if we're going to make optimal policy and since... Uh-huh. The data tells us that between 11% and 20% of our population identifies as having a disability. And even those numbers may be a little low because some folks might not identify having a disability, but they may have a functional need, right? Mm -hmm. But they may not see it as a disability because the federal definition of disability, while is extensive, is also kind of – Hard to read if you're not a JD, you know, if you don't have a JD or it's a very legalistic term and it's Mm -hmm. very amorphous. And so, you know, there are folks that may not identify that way. So, so since we know that those, that, that, that's a a significant portion of our community and there are people with disabilities in every single county in Nebraska and the situations, their situations may be individualistic, may Mm -hmm. be unique to them, uh, we need to have some information. We need to get them to inter, you know, to be included and to get their feedback and input in the planning process. Uh, and we can use those folks. To, we can use us and the agencies to get the word out. So it's a two-way street. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, we were – so Senator Day was – listened to what we said. She agreed with our message and she agreed to introduce Legislative Bill 1104. Uh, we were very happy about that. Uh, we came in and testified. Uh, we're happy to report that there was no opposition to the idea. Right. Uh, the NEMA was on board. I mean, they, they were there. Everything was well. We want to. We, we want to make sure there's no cost, no fiscal right. note. Mm-hmm. When there was no fiscal note, they're like, sure. <laughs> so we should be. We should be doing that anyway. Exactly. And uh, and, and again, I you know I communicated with NEMA, and I said, you know, I, we're, this is not intended to be a poke in the eye or like any boo boo. Right. It's intended to be. We want to. We want to make sure it's in a writing. Right. We want to make sure should be left behind. Right. And and it's and if it's it, as you, and you know as well as I do. If it's in writing, mm-hmm. you'll see it. It'll remind you every time. And if exactly. it's not in writing, you might do it. You, you might may not. not because yep. you don't have and, – and again, I'm not casting aspersions on them. In fact, they've been very responsive. Great. They, we asked them to participate in a webinar that we did with the Independent Living Council here in Nebraska about emergency management and disaster Good. planning. They were like, great. Perfect. Happy to do it. They, they've been great. I put, and like the October was – National Disability Disaster Month. They uh-huh. pushed out all the materials about that every week. They've been participating. Awesome. Uh, and so, uh, I ha- I have Legislative Bill eleven oh four in one of my dr- in my draw category. Okay. While we were while we were pleased to see there was no opposition, in, and in fact, Senator Brewer, who was the chair of the Governmental Military and Veterans Affairs Committee, which is the committee that heard this mm-hmm. bill was very supportive. In fact, we found out at the hearing that he was at, was in La, in New Orleans after Katrina helping get people with disabilities out of nursing ah. homes and out of shelters and getting them into safety. Uh, so uh, we were very happy to see that our, you know, he was like, yeah, he, gets, he gets our message. Right. 
It unfortunately the bill did not pass the legislature mm-hmm. this year, um, although it did come out of committee onto the onto the floor. So, I, but I, and I consider that a draw because what happened now is. Since we were raising the issue in a public forum, mm-hmm. I got a call from NEMA, uh, and, and they were saying, hey, we're in the process of developing our new strategic plan. Would you be on our work group? I said, sure. Perfect, yes. So that's what I'm saying is that while we would have liked to have seen the bill pass, you know, we're, we, we wanted to raise the issue in a public forum right. to get – to get attention and awareness of the issue. And you did. And we did. You did. Uh, and so uh, that's why I say we, the door on that bill was closed, but the door uh, with NEMA working with them has opened. And they have been wonderful partners. Good. They have been really interested in reaching out to the disability community, and I'm really excited about uh, the potential collaboration. And I think that's another thing that, that, that we like to do at Disability Rights Nebraska is, you know, we're, we're all about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I, I'm all about – let's down, talk about it. I, I want to tell you the disability perspective, and I want you to hear it, and I want to hear your perspective, and I want to – trust me, I will talk about these things forever. Uh, and so we're all about collaboration because we think, you know, again, there's multiple avenues to mm-hmm. get things done. Right. And sometimes it requires a fight. Sometimes it requires, you know. Just a conversation, you know, right? Sometimes it requires collaboration and cooperation and coalition building. Oh, in fact, one of the things, um, so we've been engaging and participating in this disability education series. It's a series of hour and a half webinars on a variety of different disability topics that's been sponsored by a, 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 a good number coalition size uh, disability advocates. Every month was a new uh, new topic. Uh, and one of the topics uh, that I was helping to talk about and I was presenting was, you know, how do we how do we move forward to ensure access to the community for persons with disabilities? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we talked about in the webinar was, well, there's this thing called Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's legislation. It sets out a process by which you can invoke led law, you can invoke the courts to enforce your civil rights. Mm-hmm. But we, but the other message that we want, and so we had attorneys from our office come talk about what is Title II, what are some examples, how does this process work? But then we also kind of shifted gears and said, well, that's not the only avenue. Mm-hmm. Another avenue to to make sure that the, you know we can make sure that the communities are accessible and people have their rights enforced and respected and and, and put into and implemented is working together. Right. And so our example, and we had asked uh, and uh, a, a family who had been working with another couple of families of kids with disabilities to create an accessible playground in York, Nebraska. Oh, okay. And so uh, the story kind of is the. You know, family had a child with a disability, and they had another f- friend, family friends they had mm-hmm. to win. And so they collaborated and, and uh, addressed their city council and said, we want to have this park. And they went on fundraising and worked with the city and the city council and parks and recreation. And they've been successful in to cre- create and have raised the funds and have worked with consultants and all that to develop a park that's accessible to kids with disabilities. So That's amazing. Yeah. It's so, you know, those sort of things happen. And so, and that's one of the things that, another thing that we like to do in our agency, and, and one of the things kind of falls to me, 
and I love this part of my job. Mm-hmm. I, I love the research and the and the reading and the analysis and the going through a going through the bill and looking at every single word and saying, is that the right word we want to use? Is that the right word we want to use? Is, <laughs> what is what is this? What does this sentence mean? What is the picture? What's the imagery? So I look all of that analysis. But one of the, and I love that. Yeah. And, and uh, uh but I think the other part that I really think is unique and beneficial and wonderful about what we do at our organization, because I have to, I have to remind you, not every protection and advocacy organization has a corresponding legislative department. You're right. You're right. So we're one of a growing handful. So one of the things that we also do, not only in terms of representing it in the legislature and in policy making for CEOs, but we also have an internship, and we work to help people with disabilities engage in advocacy, engage in the legislature, helping them develop their testimony, develop helping them develop the skill sets to go to the to and speak their mind to provide their perspective. And right, and that goes been, far, especially it, with folks who have never been down there. Mm-hmm. And that you give them all the information and all the tools. Mm-hmm. And we only have two minutes left, and I yep. don't want to cut you off, but I want you to mention really quick the interim studies because it's important yes, that folks I'm, participate. I'm glad. See, I'm glad you're here because I, <laughs> I get off on a tangent, and you never know where I'm going to end up. But so, in addition to legislative bills, mm-hmm. there are legislative resolutions or interim study resolutions, and these are resolutions that are more fact finding. So it'll be like something like uh, we want to find out more information about uh, how can we make the public hearings more accessible to persons with disabilities. Right. right? That's LR 393. Okay. So it's looking for information from the public about accessibility. Or we've got a legislative resolution 420, which talks about examining special education process. Okay. And though I think those legislative resolutions, which are listed on the website, and I have a list of the ones that have kind of caught my eye, and I'll put this up on our website. But I think the legislative resolutions and interim studies are important because they're not adversarial. They're very easy. They're getting. They want information and people with disabilities and their advocates. This is a great opportunity to get involved because they're asking for your input. They're asking for your perspective, and you don't have to say, "Well, if if I get challenged, I don't have to advocate for this bill." And if I get questioned on it, I have to have an answer. That no, it's information. So it's really easy. It's very low key. They're looking for information. And they will have a public hearing most often looking for information. So they're asking information. And I always say, if someone asks you for your input, you should give it. You should give it. So, um, you know, so go to our website. Yes, what is the website? Uh, You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.